0: Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Chad Randall at Life Story Church. We are a grassroots church located in the heart of the Bellevue community in Nashville, Tennessee. Our services are streamed live on Facebook and YouTube every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. and Wednesdays, 7 p.m. Central Time. We would love for you to join us. Now here's Pastor Chad Randall. Tonight, we are going to be continuing in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, Letters to the Churches, is our series uh, uh, title uh, for this Wednesday night series. Letters to the Churches, a study specifically of Revelation chapters 1 through 4. I'm half tempted to keep going after chapter 4, but we'll see what the Lord uh, gives us a release to do. But do you guys have your Bibles ready tonight? I hope you do, because we're going to dig into the Word a little bit here. The Revelation... Simply means the unveiling. The word in the Greek was apocalypto, apocalypse. Uh, we've heard movies uh, throughout the throughout our lifetime talking about, and before our lifetime talking about the apocalypse. Right? When is the apocalypse going to happen? Really, that word apocalypse is the word uh, is the is the uh, Greek word uh, for unveiling. And it is where we get our word for revelation, the apocalypse of John, as it was originally called. So revelation, it shouldn't be a scary thing because it's truly just an unveiling that Jesus is giving his church through John. So he's unveiling things to John that he wants... The churches specifically to know, and that's why in the beginning of Revelations, through the first, uh, the first chapter, as we learned last week, is really a setup for the study that we're going to begin tonight, which is what does God have to say to the churches of this world, and specifically to the end time church. Revelation is the consummation of all things, biblical church. Come on now, you got to get excited about this. Are you excited about this study tonight? The consummation of all things in the Bible. It's the only book in the Bible that promises a special blessing to the reader. As a matter of fact, it has a special blessing in verse 3 for anybody who even hears this book being read. So if you want a special blessing in the Bible, study Revelation. I mentioned this last week, but oftentimes new believers will say, Pastor Chad, where should I start in the Word of God? And you know, my tendency used to be to say, well, start in the Gospels, then work through Paul's letters. going well, to be honest with you, we should be saying Revelation. This is the only book in the Bible that carries a special blessing. And I'm telling you, I think there's a reason why Paul, when he went to the church in Thessalonica, that he only spent three, only spending three weeks with them there, he chose to teach them about end-time prophecy for a reason. And of course, Thessalonians uh, 1 and 2 being two of the most uh, prophetically relevant uh, uh, letters that Paul wrote, uh, relevant to us, the church, especially in this era. Well, in Revelation, there's also 404 verses containing over 800 allusions from the Old Testament, in other words, indirect references from the Old Testament, uh, coming uh, from a, In other words, coming from a body of information that the author assumes that you already know. So. An illusion, when a writer makes an allusion to something, he's assuming that you already know this. So when, when uh, Jesus or John in, in Revelation makes reference to something Old Testamental, they're assuming that the reader will already know that stuff, right? So it's on us to be students of our Bible. And when we arrive to a certain place where Jesus is giving us prophecy, we should have a general working understanding of his word already. Amen? Amen. So, I I believe, honestly, church, with all my heart, that this message is more important for the church today than perhaps it ever has been. I'm going to pause dramatically to drive that point home. I believe that this message that I'm going to deliver tonight, this study that we're going to do, is more important for the church today than perhaps it has ever been. If you noticed on the social media post that we put out today on Facebook, uh, on Wednesdays in particular, I write those. And because, uh, uh, you know, as I'm preparing, my, I prepare my messages for Wednesday evening on Wednesday night. I'm working it for the first couple days of the week, but really I put it all together on Wednesday during the day. That might be why it's hard to get a hold of me sometimes on Wednesdays. But as I put out that social media ad, I wrote, We are living in unprecedented times that point towards the potentially soon return of Jesus. Do you believe that? Do you see that? Does your spirit agree with that? As our nation, the last beacon of liberty on earth, battles a full-on assault of antichrist sentiments. We, who house within us the restrainer of evil in this world we must seek god diligently can i get some amens on that are you watching the news at all do you see what's happening in our world at all do you agree with that i hope you do church we must we must i implore you seek God, diligently, at this time in your life, wherever you are, if you're 19 years old and you're young in your journey, and you see what's going on in the world, and maybe you've never studied this stuff before, and it might seem a little bit scary, seek God with all your heart. Press into His Word. When we get done with this sermon tonight, I want you to go back and watch it again. I want you to watch last week's as well, so you're ready for next week's, because we're going to keep going, all right? We must, we must, we must... Be aware of what we are witnessing right now in the world. And we, Christians, let me say this, Christians by nature, we hope for the best, don't we? We hope for the in, in, we, hope springs eternal with Christians, right? Because we are so grateful. Our hearts swell with gratitude for what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us, right? So when we see something happening on TV, as bad as it might look, we still will have a tendency to say, surely not. Surely it's not as bad as, as it seems. Surely not that person is not that wicked or that evil. I mean, they've got grandkids for crying out loud, right? As if any grandparent is immune from being wicked. But I'm not saying that to condemn us. I'm saying that that's the nature of our heart and it's good and it's a beautiful thing. However, it doesn't change the fact that yeah, that grandparent might be wicked as they come. Their heart might be as black as midnight church. I was watching, um, some of you guys might, if you follow my social media posts at all, you might have seen um, uh, my posts over the last couple days. Uh, Sunday night, uh, I watched uh, a program on The Blaze. Uh, Glenn Beck is a syndicated radio talk show host. You've probably heard him on the radio at some, uh, some, uh, some point. He used to have a show on Fox News, and then he started his own network. Anyway, I don't necessarily agree with him, everything on a religious level, but I tend to agree with him on political issues. He's a political analyst. We, we're familiar with Bill O'Reilly, aren't we? We're f- familiar with Sean Hannity. We're familiar with, if you're coming in from the left side of things, Rachel Maddow. right? There are political analysts that love to talk politics. right? And I know that it's not as rare as it used to be that... that uh, these analysts, political analysts, their ideology infects everything that they say, and, and infects even their view of the news that's happening, right? But Glenn Beck, still, you know, I would say that he, he as a rule, from what I've seen of him over the years, tries to keep it even keel. You know, he was not a Trump supporter, wouldn't pretend to be a Trump supporter. You know, calls calls him as he sees him, uh, talks politics. Uh, So anyway, I was watching uh, him the other night on YouTube uh, and (laughs) something he said in his opening monologue of his program, of his radio program, just I couldn't believe I was hearing it to be honest with you. It didn't sound like I was listening to a talk show host talk politics like you would normally expect if you're turning into that pro- uh, tuning into that program. I want to share with you what he said and uh, it, uh, if you haven't read it already on my social media post, please stay with me here and, uh, and read with us. Can I see that first that graphic? He started out by saying this, and I'm telling you church, it just struck struck that tuning fork within me. He said, we are now seeing that we are squarely in the days that the Bible foretold. I told you there would come a time when we passed all the exits and we're there. We need to fight to slow down the chaos. We need to do everything we can to slow chaos down and to not hasten the return as the prom- of the promised one, as they say in Iran. Uh, to explain that, if you've never uh, been in on our teachings of, uh, on Islam, the Islamists are waiting for a Messiah to return as well. Interestingly enough, when you look at the Messiah that they have and the Messiah that they're hoping will return, his uh, stat chart as it were, if you're a sports person, or his uh, characteristics and qualities, the list of things that they expect him to do in this world matches up perfectly, uh, strangely, with what we expect the Antichrist of Revelation to do as well. So they call for chaos, and they've been calling for that in Iran. They want to the world up into death and destruction and chaos. That's where all of this hate is coming from. They want to destroy Israel, drive it into the sea, right? They They hate America. We're the we're the big Satans. Israel's the little Satan. They cry out, we love death as much as the Israelis love life. They call it out. Why? Because they want to bring death and destruction and chaos into this world. Why? So their Mahdi will return. So interestingly, here says, as we see these, this chaos breaking out in the world, he says, you know, we need, let's go back to that quote. He says, uh, uh, we need to, we, uh, to do everything we can to slow down uh, the chaos. And not to hasten the return of the promised one, as they say in Iran. Let's keep reading. Perhaps we need to now begin to look at our problems differently. Okay. I'm open to that, aren't you? Not to just save the nation, but to save our children, our own souls, because because even the very elect will be deceived. That's interesting language for a political talk show host, if you ask me. And he goes on to say, And how many of us, on the note of the very elect being deceived, and how many of us are struggling with our children, with our families, and our family members who have been deceived? How Can we save our nation if we fall into the clutches of collective justice? How can we save our nation if our churches fail to stand? You feel that, church? How can we save our nation if our churches don't stand? Who is the church? Is it the pastors? Are we relying now on Joel Osteen to save this nation? Is it uh, up to T.D. Jakes to save this nation? Is it up to John MacArthur to save this nation? <laughs> Is that up to J.D. Farage to save this No, you are the church. You are the church. How can we save our nation if our churches fail to stand? To this nation, read with me, to this nation... God was the thread that wove it together, held it strong, kept the seams from splitting. It was the Judeo-Christian principles that mended, did patch the holes born from our growing pains and struggles. And didn't we have growing pains and stumbles and struggles as a young nation starting out? Behind the eight ball from the beginning, slavery was already here when this A a constitution was formed. This, this, it was already here. Church, as a matter of fact, in in uh, uh, the the first agreement that Jefferson made in forming in the the uh, confederation, the constitutional Congress, excuse me, he made he 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 led led the charge for for a twenty year uh, uh, holding pattern that. Okay, 20 years, then nobody can bring new slaves into this country. I mean, they, it was a struggle back and forth. Would this nation even be born And slavery was a big issue. Men of virtue and Christ struggled to rid this nation of slavery from the beginning. But it wasn't easy. And it wasn't quick. So yes, did we have our stumbles and our growing pains? Of course we did. Let's keep reading. Let's keep reading. It was the Judeo-Christian principles that mended patch the holes, born from our growing pains and stumbles, and right now before, and right now before our eyes, that thread is being pulled out of the fabric, and not only the holes, not only the holes, for the whole thing is about to fall apart. Do you know the great promise? to the freedom of mankind was the union of the United States of America. People still from all over the world, church, they dream of coming here. You can even look on, on uh, Bravo TV or these, some of these channels that will do like these marriage shows and stuff. There's this, I was flipping through the other day and there's this 90 day fiance show and it's all about these people who are willing to marry people they barely know just to get to America. Because unfortunately for these these people that are biting on this bait, it's rarely is it about boy, this person, this beautiful person from overseas loves me so much. No, so more often than not, apparently it's, they just want to get to America people are clawing from all around the world to get here why because it's the last beacon of light and liberty in the world do you know the great promise to the freedom of mankind was the union of the United States of America but by far the greatest threat hear this now is the dissolution of the United States of America if Or when this country falls apart, the great danger is not from the loss of our culture or humanity, or even our constitution. The greatest danger is what will be built back from the pieces of what remains. Our military, our technology, our power to spy on and control with inescapable omnipresence. All of it will be used against all of us in the entire world, and it is already started. It will be a constriction of freedoms unlike anything we've ever experienced. Even right now today, I encourage you. Uh, I shared something on Facebook this morning. If you haven't seen it yet, uh, Amber shared it as well. A pregnant mother in Australia was arrested for posting something on Facebook. What did she post? Does it matter? Arrested? Arrested? Now look, Australia is by far not the United States of America. The uh, the Second Amendment rights that we have, they lost those a long time ago. If you remember a few few years back, the government's gun-buying-back program and piles of guns in the streets Uh, being gathered up by the government the people's weaponry Hmm, looked a lot like Nazi Germany just before the Second World War, unfortunately. The greatest danger is what will be built back from the pieces of what remains. Our military, our technology, our power to spy on and control with inescapable omnipresence. Not typically... What you hear from a political analyst, huh? I don't know. maybe you understand why I was shocked that I was hearing it. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. It's one thing to hear this stuff from, you know, uh, you, uh, some, some crazy pastor on YouTube, right? But uh, church, here it is. Here it is. And I don't know if you're going to like it when I say it or not, but we're at war. We are at war, whether you realize it. Or not. War has begun. And it this this isn't this isn't just an ideological war anymore either. Wouldn't it be nice if when I say that, because I've said it before, we're at war. I've been saying it for a lot lately, not necessarily in those terms, but it's a struggle. We're at a struggle between light and dark, right? No. It's more than that now, church. More than ideologically, our nation is under assault do you get that you need to get that wake up O sleeper for the hour is nearer now than when you first believed church the one world government spoken of in daniel and revelation is at our door and as a matter of fact it's trying to kick the door in the news media and the NBA they want you to think that you know this is all about inequality on the basis of, of skin color that's what this is all about everything that you're seeing in the streets they're just trying to get equality because there isn't equality based on skin color that's why they're burning down black owned businesses that's why hmm that's why they're uh, attacking and, and uh, 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 destroying the home of the liberal mayor that supports their agenda. That's why it's about equality. Hmm. Church, now they want to burn down America. They want to build down America, burn down America and they want to build a new nation in its place. Church, if you don't understand that, it's time to wake up they want to burn down America and build a new nation in its place and when they get what they want when they get what they want uh, they will reset the global economy they'll reset the global economy uh, and rule just as oppressively as every other anti-Christ communist regime ever has more so actually if you haven't been paying attention if you haven't been paying attention, and this all sounds a little crazy to you, let me just let me give you a few leads. I've always been one who says, "Don't take my word for any of this. If I'm teaching you the Bible, go read it for yourself and see if I'm wrong." Now you can bring it to me if we're local, or you can blow me off, right? If you think I'm a bad teacher, right? Yeah, I would encourage you to do so if I'm if I were. But let me give you a few leads, and then you just look into this for yourself if you think I'm sounding a little out there, all right? Can I see this first picture? Let's see that first picture. Huh? On the left there, in the red, that's a, that is a communist logo. A communist logo. You notice the, uh, the uh, Russian sickle and hammer there, right? We know a little bit about communism. They're atheists, right? And they claim to be atheism. they're anti-God. For years, one of the hardest places to be a Christian in the world was in Russia. You know, I remember when I was a kid, we had some missionaries come to our house. My dad was a gospel musician. And, you know. So uh, oftentimes, if people were coming through the area doing some ministering, they'd end up on, on the couch in my living room having discussions with my dad. And I remember... Uh, my family sitting around, and they were experiencing such horrible persecution in Russia from the government and then the mafia as well for their Christian beliefs. Uh, They would try to uh, extort the church for money, as a matter of fact. And I remember, I'll never forget, I think it was my mother who said, how how do you, it's got to be so hard to be a Christian there. How do you stand up and how do you do it? And I'll never forget their response, and mom will probably say, I'm butchering this story, but I'll never forget their response when they said, we can't believe how you're able to do it in America. For us, with the persecution, it's so easy. You know, dark is so clearly dark, and, and God is so clearly God there under those circumstances and the persecution. How do you do it in America when everything, with such temptation? You know, let's go back to that picture. Do you see any similarities here? Black Lives Matter. Why do you have a communist logo? I thought this was all about, uh, you know, inequality on the basis of skin color. Let's see that next uh, photograph, shall we? Capitalism kills. Communist hammer and sickle. Fight racism. Oh, right. This is about racism. That's right. Okay. Black love. Punch Nazis. But pro-anti-capitalism and pro-communism. Black Lives Matter. Right. Again, what does communism have to do with this? I thought we were talking about racial. We were talking about inequality based on the color of one's skin. How about this next one? Can I see this next picture? Oh, let's, just, let's just get down to the bone of things, shall we? Here's the co-founder of Black Lives Matter in her own words. We are trained Marxists. Church, are you awake yet? Are you awake yet? There's more going on here than CNN wants you to know. Or NBC or ABC, CBS, CBS where 90% of this country gets their news. There's more, there's more going on in this nation right now than Fox News wants you to know. Do you know that? You know that Fox News is owned by liberals too? It's a decision that they push conservative news for monetary value and for, for manipulation purposes. Thank God it seems like we've got a couple good ones on there. But My goodness. Take a look at this next picture. How about this? This is a bill that's been introduced to Congress. It's about contact uh, contact tracing. If this passes, you won't be able to go anywhere in this country without the government knowing where you are, who you've met with, who you've spoken with, who you've come into contact with. It hasn't passed yet. Interesting the number on it, though. I'm not trying to be an alarmist here. I just think it's weird that the number happens to be 6666. Can we see the next picture? Bill Gates, by the way, I don't know if you know who Bill Gates is. I'm sure you do. He invented Microsoft, right? But did you know that he's also an expert on vaccine development? Huh, I wonder when he went to school for that. That's interesting how he became an expert on that. I don't know. Anyway, he introduced a patent recently. It's a cryptocurrency system using body activity, biometric. in other words, everybody should have on them, biologically something that will allow them to spend money, a new digital currency through this uh, technology that is integrated into their biology. Not only that, it can track and, and tell everybody whether or not you've had your vaccines We can tell the government machine everything about you that they might want to know, perhaps whether or not you're a Christian, perhaps what your tendency is uh, when it comes to posting on social media. How about one more? So here's what we have in our street. We have Black Lives Matter, we have communism and a full-out aggressive, there's a Trump supporter who was shot in the head in Portland just the other night. They said, we got one here, the video uh, you could hear in the video, and they chased him down and they executed him. Why? For being a white Trump supporter, that's all. (laughs) Now is the time for the Great Reset, they say. Now is the time for the Great Reset. This call comes uh, to us from uh, the World Economic Forum all of the great money minds of the world have come together even Prince Charles is involved in this Bill Gates as well who's Who would be surprised George Soros is involved in this? They say now is the time for a great global reset. Uh, Klaus Schwab, a professor who is an influencer with them, says, we can emerge from this crisis a better world if we act quickly and jointly, he writes. We can take advantage of this coronavirus crisis where we've already got everybody locked down, we've already got everybody wearing a mask, we're already violating their constitutional rights and they're letting us This is the time now to act. Push the reset button. Church, take all of that in for a moment, please. Anti-capitalism, anti-American sentiment, communists hijacking. Is Is there injustice in this nation against people with different skin colors? Of course there is. But this is not, by as in a general term, a racist country. Church, a cause that should be good and noble is being hijacked by communists to bring our nation to its knees. Are you even aware of that? Trained Marxists. At the same time, you've got bills going before Congress, patents being passed, contact tracing, biometric tracing and currencies all being passed while the global elites talk of a great global reset to initiate a one world order. This is what Glenn Beck meant when he said, it has already started. As those who look and wait for the Lord Jesus to return, as watchmen on the wall, so as, we'll, so as we'll not be caught in the dark, we look and we watch and we wait. We look at the signs of the times. We're supposed to, we're called to, if you're a Christian, you put your hope, your faith that when Jesus comes, His sacrifice was enough for you, that He has saved you. You're not saved of your own works, you're saved by your faith in Him. If you know that, you trust that, you believe that, church, if you know that, if that's you, and you don't know this, you need to wake up. Because that, that end time scenario, that scenario of global governance that we find in Revelation chapter 13, it's already started. What hour of history must we be living in? Glenn Beck went on to say this as well. Let me read you the back half of that statement. Maybe this will make more sense now that we've framed it for you. He said, Marxists believe that if they tear down the society, they'll be able to build back a utopia that eliminates seeing suffering. But Christians and Jews know that sin is within the human heart. No matter what you tear down around someone and build back up, the sin is not going away. That utopia will be built back around all the original problems and likely a bunch of really scary new ones. Because the blight on the heart of man can only be repaired with the help of God. And isn't that true? Isn't that the truth? And that has been the story with every socialist revolution that has ever happened in this nation. And every time the new socialists, the new socialists say, no, this is a new brand of socialism. This is democratic socialism now. Now this time it'll work because this time it's going to be good people. Those were bad people. Those were bad people. They wanted power and they took advantage of the little people once they had... if you don't get that if you, if you don't get that every socialist nation in the history of earth started with great promises perhaps even made by well-intentioned men then i i i can't explain it to you any better than than history has of course now history isn't being taught anyway is it or even our history in our schools has been hijacked and it's been co-opted. That's been a part of the plan as well. That's been going on for well over a hundred years. History has always been an attack of uh, uh, of the communists, even in the Communist Manifesto. <sighs> the Communist Manifesto, in Chapter Two, talks about erasing history, talks about getting into the schools, talk about destroying the nuclear family. Go to Black Lives Matter's website. What will you find? You'll find. you'll find their their manifesto that declares a war on the nuclear family. Church, wake up. Things seem to be happening quickly now, don't they? They do. If we are indeed within the window of history that we think we might be, we shouldn't be surprised that things are happening quickly. We read it last week. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1-2. through Let's read that. Actually, just verse 1. Let's just look at verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave Him, Jesus, to show His servants, you, things which must shortly take place. That word, takos, in the Greek, events happening rapidly. In respect to one another, that's the important part to remember. That's where we get our word tachometer in the English language, as a matter of fact. So things happening quickly. It means once the first domino falls, they start falling, they start falling, they start falling. Things start to move quickly once the first events start to happen. Don't you see? The entire field has been set. The entire, everything's being set up, Church. Mm, every tool they would need to run a one-world global governance is in place. Hmm. So let's review, shall we? I said earlier that I believe, in spite and in or in light, in spite of what you may think, and in light of what we see truly happening in the world, all around us, I believe that this message tonight, this study into the into Revelation, in particular the churches of Revelation, for the body of Christ may be more relevant now than it ever has been in the history of the church. So let's review. To whom was this revelation given? Well, Revelation 1 through 2, we just read it. It said, God gave him to show his servants Jesus Christ. In verse 3, we saw a blessing. If you're wondering where that came from earlier when I mentioned it. A blessing to anybody who reads it. This is important, though. Can I see this next graphic, the divine outline? This is the divine outline that God gave us, right, in Revelation chapter 119. So, show them the things which thou hast seen. In other words, the things of the past. This is the vision of Christ in chapter 1. The things which are, the churches which are. Every one of those seven churches were alive and well on the earth, at the time that Revelation was written and the vision was given. And we'll get more into that. We find that covered in chapters two and three. And we'll see the things which shall come after. After what? After the churches. So that covers everything from chapters four all the way through 22. That will help you understand Revelation and the timeline of Revelation a lot as you study it. If you don't understand a general outline of things, they can become more confusing. Hereafter, the things that shall be hereafter, that's the word metatauta in the Greek. It simply means after these things. After what things? After everything he's about to show us in chapters 2 and 3, his letters to the churches. In verse 20, we find an explanation of the symbolism in the vision. And this is important for us to understand, so I want to go back to this. I know we covered it last week, read it last week, but... You, you, you need to hear it to understand where we're going here in a second. Let's read Revelation chapter 1, verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand in the seven golden lampstands. See, God is so good. He gives a metaphor. Whenever he gives a metaphor in the Bible, people say, oh, it's hard to understand there's so many metaphors. When he gives a metaphor, he explains it like immediately. The seven stars are the angels of the churches. Every church has an angel, a guardian, a messenger. And the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. So there you have it. Understand that, okay? Screenshot that if you have to. The stars are the angels. The lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. Can I see that next graphic? Who are the churches again? Let's revisit it. Ephesus, Smyrna. Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. Why these seven churches? Why not Jerusalem? Why not Antioch? Why not Rome? Why not all of those first century, first church powerhouses? Why? Well, let's see this next graphic. We showed you it last week. Perhaps because it was ordained before the churches even existed because they were written in the stars, as is the story of the Messiah. The Zodiac, which you know to be the Zodiac for getting your... Whatever people want to take it as uh, uh, astrology report from it comes to us directly from the Maseroth, which was actually the story of the Messiah redeeming the world, which was written in the heavens. It was hijacked in Babylon. So why should we be surprised that we see right here perhaps a map of the seven churches of Revelation in the stars? Incredible. And I see this next graphic. Why not Jerusalem? Why not Antioch? Why not Rome? Well, because these were actual churches. Number one, yes, yeah, so was Antioch, and we know that. But these were actual churches. It can be verified archaeologically. Uh, Sir William Ramsey did some great work on that. But also because churches, churches, hear what the Lord Spirit says to the churches. Each message, it didn't just say, when we study, keep this in mind. The Lord says, hear what the Spirit says, not just to the church, not just to your church, but to the churches. Each message applies to every other church. And then he says, closing each letter, he says, he that hath an ear. That means everybody who hears it. That means you. Anybody who has an ear to hear it, hear it. This message applies to us as well. So, as we read, you hear me? As we read... Ask yourself, ask yourself if the spirit of these churches are alive and well today, okay? And ask yourself as we study, church you're going to, this is just so relevant, you're going to find it so relevant. Ask yourself which church you are. I challenge you to do that or ask yourself which church you attend. It's imperative, imperative that you do this self-evaluation tonight. As we study, i getting a little more set up here and then we'll jump into it, chapter two. Uh, there's a few design elements of every letter, okay? Can I see that next graphic? Take a screenshot, guys. I don't want to spend too much time on it. We're already <laughs> running way too long. There's gonna, he's going to give the name of the church, he's going to give the title of Christ, he's going to name himself, he's going to identify himself, he's going to give the church accommodation, he's going to explain to them what his concern is for the church, he's going to exhort the church, give an exhortation to the church. He's going to give a promise to them, if you can overcome these concerns, if you can overcome what Satan is trying to trip you up with, okay? Then every letter closes. He says, he that hath an ear, hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He says that seven other times. Gosh, God is just so specific. Seven other times throughout the New Testament does he say the same thing. He that hath an ear, let him hear. So every church is surprised. I left you hanging last week and I said, listen, you are going to love this because this was the teaser. Every church is surprised by the report of how they're doing. Every church is surprised by the report of how they're, how they're doing. The churches that thought that they were doing great are shocked to find out that they are doing terribly. And the churches that thought that they were struggling are shocked to find out how well they are doing. So this is gonna be a great encouragement to some of you little churches out there that feel like you're maybe struggling. You know, there's a, a, a large number, percentage, percentage, percentage of churches Are closing right now because of the coronavirus shutting them down and therefore they're being shut down economically as well so God I cannot tell you be faithful in your tithe you are the church not a building but guess what your church family has got bills to keep the operation rolling just because you're not going on Sunday does not does not deliver you of the responsibility to care for your church family and body of Christ amen all right so These small churches find out, different churches find out they're doing great. Let's go. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, the letter to Ephesus. Ephesus means darling in Greek. Darling, interesting, because this was a culture that was riddled with paganism. This was a culture that was riddled with idol worship. Uh, They worshiped the Greek gods. We're actually studying uh, 1 Timothy on Sundays right now. And that was a letter written to Ephesus. So, it's pretty well-timed for us at Life Story. But the, the goddess Diana, known for sexuality and lasciviousness, was the, the, the biggest temple for her in all the region, was centered in Ephesus. So, this was, a, this was a, a church that was in the middle of this paganism. Okay, let's read. He says, verse 1, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his in his right hand, right hand of authority, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Do you remember what the seven golden lampstands were? Uh, stands were, of course, you do. The churches, right? He walks among them. Now he gives his commendation to the church. I know your works. This means here commendation means this is what you've done well. I know your works. I know your labor. You're laboring, laboring. I know your patience. But I love this because it follows up. You can still have patience and not tolerate and have patience for evil, right? Amen? And that's our calling. I know your works, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. Let that be said of us. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them to be liars. In other words, here, church, what we're seeing is they took Paul's advice from Acts chapter 20. Go read Acts chapter 20. I don't have time to go there tonight. But in Acts chapter 20, he's saying goodbye to the church of Ephesus, to all of the elders in the church of Ephesus. And he's going to Rome. He's going to be imprisoned in Rome. He knows it. He knows he'll never return, the Spirit has told him. And they all weep together, right? That beautiful scene. But before he leaves, he gives them an order. He says, there will be wolves who come in sheep's clothing, among the the sheep, among the flock, to devour the flock. And he says, then there will be others who rise up from within the flock to divide. He gives them this strong, strong uh, 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 warning to look out for them. And so here he's saying, you did a great job. You didn't bear those who were... Or he said... uh, uh, I know your patience, your labor, you can't stand those who are are evil, and you have tested those who say they're apostles. That's it right there. You tested those, even though they rose up and said they were apostles, the the wolves rose up, you tested them, and you have found them to be liars. So in other words, they did a great job with doctrine, which is everything. Doctrine is what defines the truth, church. Doctrine cannot be wishy-washy, and it must be defended. Paul's made anything clear in the New Testament. That's what he's made clear. Verse 3, let's keep reading. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my namesake and have not become weary. Oh, gosh. Oh, to hear those words. It's hard not to grow weary, isn't it, church? You've not grown weary, but now he shares a concern with them. Verse 4. nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. Church, is this not a relevant concern for the American church today? They got so busy doing ministry that they had no time for personal devotion. Hear me on that. Church should not be a place you go It should not be a thing that you do, it is what you are, it is who you are, you are the church. Somebody say amen? When it becomes, hear me on this, when it becomes routine, when it becomes a habit, when it becomes a ritual that you do, I talk to my kids about this, every night we lay down and we say our prayers at night and we say, our Father who art in heaven, right? The Apostle said, Lord, how should we pray? He said, say this. We say that every night. But you know, when you say those words like clockwork, every night, every night, I mean, probably out of seven nights of the week, I probably three or four, I say, guys, now pray with all your heart. Don't just say the words. Speak to the Lord. Right? Don't let it just become a ritual, something that you do because it's what you do, something you say because it's something you say. Right? it has got to come from the heart. It's about the heart. Okay? when it becomes about buildings, when it becomes about aesthetics, I don't know if this church has got the vibe I want. I'm looking for a vibe. We got to create a vibe. We got to do that. When it becomes about the programs, I don't know if this church has got a, enough programs for me of this and that and the other. Is it got a good this program or that program? When it becomes about the logistics, when I'm, when every Sunday morning we're just punching the time clock, we got to unload the trailer, reload the trailer. We got to check the sound. We got to do the mice. We got to do the worship. We got to make sure it's all working. We got to get all the when it becomes all about that church, the heart of it is lost. When the heart of it is lost and motives are compromised, and motives are wrong, or it becomes about when you just start going through the motions, even church, it's about people. The church is you, it's brothers and sisters linking arms, mending hearts together, lifting each other up, sharing with each other when you're down, lifting up, lifting up another when they're down. And having somebody to celebrate when you've come through it all. Celebrate with when you've come through it all. It's about people. Don't Let me implore you to do something, will you? Don't pick a church because of the pretty lights. Don't pick a church, uh, a church body uh, because of aesthetics or programs. Pick a church body that you believe in. Do you hear me? Do you feel me? Pick a church body that you believe in, a people that you'd link arms with, that you'd go to war with, because guess what? We're at war. Pick a church that you would lay your life down with. Greatest form of friendship, show of friendship, Jesus said, was to lay down your life for one another. That should be your Church brothers and sisters. Do you have that kind of relationship with them? If you don't, is it your fault? Don't blame them. I'm not telling you to blame them. But, at the same time, we need to find like-minded believers. They're out there. Don't lose hope. You said that you've said to the Church of Ephesus, you have left your first love. It doesn't get more personal than that, church. I can't tell you how many, how, how many divorces I've seen where people, grew their love grew cold. They didn't care for the garden. They didn't water it. They didn't prune it. And ultimately, in the end, the weeds took over the garden. And their first love was lost or the love in their own hearts for their love grew cold. Jesus says, this I have against you. You've lost your first love. Don't let it be said of us that we lose our love for him. Don't let it be said of you. Remember the passion with which you've loved him when you first loved him. When you first accepted and received the precious gift of grace and redemption. Your ransom had been paid. Oh, to celebrate! You imagine these pastors who've been locked up in Iran and, all, Iran and all over the world when they found that their ransom had been paid, or finally a president stepped up and said, "No, you'll let them go. You'll let them go now." Can you imagine the gratitude that overflowed from their hearts? Is that? Does not the, grat- the gratitude that we felt in our hearts resemble that when we first realized how lost we were? C.S. Lewis says that it's not until a man realizes how desperate his situation is that be- Christianity begins to talk. When you realize you're desperate and lost without Him, suddenly you realize your need for a Savior and redemption. And when you do, oh, the gratitude to receive that. And the love that you have for Him, he says, you've left your first love. Verse 5, then he says this. He says, Remember therefore, remember therefore from when you, where you have fallen, repent, metanio, change your mind, remember, and do the first works. Go back, do the first things again. Do what you did the first time you fell in love with me, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Oh, church. I'd like to say that the church of Ephesus did that. They, they, heard, they heard the exhortation and they responded. I'd like to say that they did that. I'd like to say that that church is alive and well today. However, the physical church of Ephesus stands in ruins today. Interestingly, enough you can go visit if you'd like to it's been archeologically uncovered unfortunately also interestingly enough in Matthew chapter 11 you find Jesus mentions three other churches that he said, that he curses essentially they didn't receive him capernaum bethsaida chorazin they just recently archeologically discovered chorazin these are churches that did not survive and thrive as did churches in jerusalem and rome and antioch and other places no they received exactly what the lord said would happen they're gone as well interestingly enough in regards to uh capernaum bethsaida and Chorazin, uh they also struggled with paganism much like the church of Ephesus to the point where the paganism infiltrated their churches. It had also, prior to Christ, even infiltrated uh, the synagogues. As a matter of fact, there were pagan symbols that can be found uh, on the synagogue, carved into the stone in these uh, archaeological sites of pagan symbols on the synagogues, as a matter of fact. So let's read verse 6. Unfortunately, they didn't honor the exhortation. Let's read verse 6. But this you have. That you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Who are the Nicolaitans? It's interesting. Here we find their deeds hated. Their deeds hated. And in the letter, letter to Pergamus, we will find their doctrine to be hated as well. Is their lampstand still visible today? Let me ask you. you. know, Though the church of Ephesus obviously received the destruction that the Lord said would come if it didn't change their ways, do we not still see that lampstand alive and well today in the description of the church and what they struggled with? Do we see the lampstand of the Nicolaitans today? Hmm? In Acts chapter six verse five, Nicholas is referenced as a new convert. Who are the Nicolaitans? Well, Nicholas was a new convert. Acts chapter six verse five, and one of seven chosen to oversee the daily uh, magistration of the poor in the Church of Jerusalem. Now, some church fathers, early church fathers, Arrhenius, Hippolytus, um, uh, uh, Tertullian, you know, they state that he was the founder of this of a sect called the Nicolaitans. other fathers though seem to suggest that this was a vain claim vain claim made by this sect in seeking apostolic authority for their opinions so was a first century sect was a first century sect think of this abusing the liberty in christ abusing liberty in Christ. There's reason to believe uh, that this is actually uh, an untranslated word. Can I see this next graphic? If we look at the Greek what we find is this. There's two parts to the word. There's two syllables and each of them are a different word as a matter of fact. Nikeo means to conquer, it means to overcome, it means to rule. Leos means laity, which means the people. So, in other words, conquering, overcoming, ruling the people. So, this you have, he said, this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, potentially meaning you hate the deeds of those who abuse the power of the cloth against the people. Hmm. That would suggest that a sect was u- using their clerical stature or posture or posture uh, to rule over the laity. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Have we? That's ne- That's never happened. There weren't 50 million Christians murdered for heresy by the Roman Catholic Church in the Dark Ages. That's never happened. Surely not. You know, in John chapter 13, we find the correct work order chart, the correct uh, work order chart um, when we see Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. You know, I, as a pastor, I've often gotten phone calls and different messages from people who say, hey, I think I'm called into ministry. And a lot of times when you get those calls from people and they're well-meaning and they love the Lord truly and the Lord loves them, but what they have in mind is the platform. What they have in mind is some, uh, you know, acknowledgments. And I always say this: remember, the pastor is just the biggest servant. So if you really want to lead the church, that means you're gonna you're gonna outserve everybody, man. So if that's what you want, get to work because that is how the flow chart works in the kingdom of God. So here we see potentially. Depends on how you want to look at this. This is my conjecture here based on what I have studied. That Potentially here we see that order, the order of John 13 uh, being subverted and the leadership of the church using that power uh, to manipulate the people. And Jesus says here plainly, I hate it. I hate it. So, verse 7, he says, he who hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, eternal life, amen, which is in the midst of the, par- of the paradise of God. I want to eat from that tree, don't you? Note, though, as we looked at our the structure of the outline of all of this, it'll be relevant towards the end of our study here. The promise to the overcomer comes after, comes after uh, the he that hath an ear, let him hear. So he who hath an ear, let him hear. Then he gives the promise, okay? To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the garden. So, verse 8 will move us into the letter to Smyrna. I know it's late, guys, but I want to get through this next one at least. We're not too bad, are we? Well, we at, 50 minutes? 50 minutes? Something like that. 50, 60 minutes. Anyway, we've got five more, don't we? All right. The letter to Smyrna, the letter to Smyrna, the root word is myrrh. The root word is myrrh. Myrrh represents death in the biblical context. It represents death as, as it's, an, it's an embalming ointment. Myrrh, it's for embalming, okay? When the wise men, right, the magi, we remember we studied this at Christmas time. When they came, traditionally three, right, uh, there were surely many more though, okay? Uh, But here we see three gifts that they brought, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The gift of myrrh was prophetic to his death, which tells us that they knew of Daniel's prophecy. They knew that the Messiah would be cut off, so that's why they brought the myrrh. They had to have known, okay, just simply by the fact that they brought that gift. Let's read verse 8 through 11. Let's just read verse 8 through 11, and we'll keep reading through it. I'll try not to interrupt. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna writes, here we see the title of Christ coming, These things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. And now we see the commendation. I know your works. I know your tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. And that could mean a whole lot. I mean, who are sorry I'm interrupting but who says that they are Jews and they are not now there are some uh, post-trib folks are in a camp that say that Israel over there right now they're just fake Jews Don't believe that for a second. That is a a satanic idea that was birthed out of replacement theology. You hear me? Not only that, that brings us to another point. Those who say they're Jews, those who say, you know what, God's done with Israel and now the Christians. We have accepted all of the blessings and all of the prophecies, prophetic future of the Jews. Trust me, you don't want all the prophetic futures, uh, the prophetic future of the Jewish, Jewish nation. They'll be entering into something called the tribulation, by the way. You don't want that, okay? So, those who say that they're Jews and they are not replacement theologists, perhaps? You say, now every promise that was made to the Jews, that's my promise now? No, Paul makes it very clear. Paul makes it very clear that we are grafted in by faith, but grafted in and not replacing, okay? We need to know that. So, uh, let's keep reading. Verse 10. Do not fear any of those things. Also, well, let me back it up. I mean, there's also this huge movement on Hebrew roots. Christians who aren't Jews say, behave, walking around behaving as Jews. Sabbath keeping. Uh, sab- let me say this Sabbath keeping for salvation. If you want to keep the Sabbath, keep the Sabbath. It's a beautiful thing. You know, when church moved to Sunday, that didn't mean the Sabbath went away. All right, the Sabbath is just a day of rest. It's Saturday. It's a day of rest. We can meet on any day of the week that we want to. Traditionally, the first church met on Sunday, so we still do. Uh, but the Sabbath is still the Sabbath. But when you make it about salvation, keeping the Sabbath about salvation, when you get into those, some of those legalistic Hebraic roots teachings. Yeah what are you, a Jewish? You're not Jewish. You're a Gentile. Okay, so I don't, there's a lot of different things at play that he could be referring to here. Uh, those who say that they are Jews and are not. But verse 10, let's go back to verse 10. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. Pay attention to that. We'll get to that be faithful until death and i will give you the crown of life here comes the promise to the overcomer he who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death what's the second death Uh, Chuck Missler always said this and I love it. He'd say if you're born twice if you're born of a woman and born of water and born again of the Holy Spirit by your faith in Jesus right? When you believe your heart is sealed by the gift of the promised Holy Spirit if you're born twice once of water and of spirit then you'll only die once. But if you're born once you'll die naturally and you'll die a second death as well when you stand before judgment as an." Uh, and you find that you're uh, lacking in righteousness because your own wasn't enough. Notice two things in the format of this letter for me, okay? There is no concern. This I have a concern for you. There's no concern for this church. One of only two letters, one of only two letters in all of these seven letters, that there is no concern. How great is that? And the promise to the overcomer, it actually comes after again. Same thing. This will make sense later. After he that hath an ear. Now the phrase, let me talk about this. The phrase of the ten days this is confusing to some people. Uh, there's a lot of different conjectures made by a lot of great teachers. You know, the phrase, the tribulation for ten days, it's interpreted by most scholars as this. Okay, To be a prophetic... Uh, uh, to be prophetic of major periods, major periods of early Christian persecution. Can I see this next graphic? Uh, most seminaries will teach you this if you're going to school. The 10 days would teach a span of over 250 years of tribulation. Uh, from 54 to 68, there was a great persecution of christians in rome paul was beheaded peter was crucified upside down from that point uh 95 AD to 96 uh, domitian he exiled uh, john to um uh, Patmos where he received this vision Now, look, look at I mean these these dates obviously when we're looking historically there's some wiggle room on them but these are general time frames. 104 to 117 Trajan Ignatius a early church father was burned at the stake 161 to 180 Marcus Aurelius we know him from the awesome movie gladiator right he wanted Rome to be a republic again well he killed Poly- polycarp who was uh, an incredible early church father uh, who actually lived with John for 20 years so if you're ever wondering you know what John really thought about something on a certain matter you can go to Polycarp's early letters and uh, you'll find some clarity he lived with him after all he was a student from 280 to 211 AD Septimus service he killed Arrhenius who was we love you know one of the most famous early church fathers you can see all of these different <laughs> All of these different um, eras of persecution, ten days, uh, like I said, most. most tri- uh, uh, schools will teach this. Uh, Maximus killed Ursula and Hippolytus. Diocletian was the worst persecutor of Christians of all of them. But there's one thing that we know for sure, church, and that there is no debating, no debating, hear me on this, that the persecuted church is alive and well today. It certainly is, isn't it? You think of the horrifying images that we saw coming back from Syria and Iraq when ISIS was rampaging the region. How awful. As a matter of fact, as of 2009, did you know this, that 80% of persecution acts worldwide targeted Christians. You can't tell me that the persecuted church is... If you're doing it right, you should be living a blessed life. It's your best life now. That's the foundation that much of the church, those in this nation who truly call themselves Christians and believe that they're Christians, They do their hour on Sunday and they haven't cracked their Bible in years and when they need something they might throw up a prayer, right? That kind of Christianity is not built to sustain persecution, I'm afraid. Not this kind of persecution. Not the kind of persecution that could be coming should should, uh, the enemy gain any more ground before the rapture happens. So I'll ask you this. We'll close here. We'll close here. I I told you to ask yourself this earlier. So this time I'll ask you. Are the spirits of these churches, are the spirits of these churches alive and well today? Are they alive and well today? Have you seen these churches lately? Do you attend one of these churches? One of these two churches? In light of what we're witnessing in the world and in our nation, I hope you can see, Church, why I said what I said earlier. When I said, I believe that this message is more important for the Church today than perhaps it ever has been. Because I believe, I believe that the spirits of these churches are alive and well today, and I believe that we see them scattered across our world. I believe we see the persecuted church. The persecuted church uh, around the world. I believe that we see the church, certainly in this nation, that has lost its first love. So take it to heart, church. With that, we'll close. If you're watching this tonight, and maybe it's an eye-opener for you, I don't know whatever it is, if you're watching tonight and the Lord is moving on your heart, if He is calling to you to lay your heart bare and to get real, there's never been a better time than right now. I'm telling you, church, do you see? Do you see? Why should this message wait for a new believer? How could anything be more powerful than what is most relevant to us and them right now, here and now? And there's nothing more relevant. If everything that we're seeing truly is the setting up of a global government, if what we're seeing right now truly is the setup of a tribulation, one world order, what could be more important? I don't care if you just gave your heart to Jesus while you're watching this program right now. This is what you need to hear and this is what you need to know. So whatever it is, every eye closed, every head bowed, let's do this. If you're wanting to give your heart to Jesus, if you're wanting to ask Him to receive your surrender, maybe you've been living your life uh, uh, with just the the average American Christian perspective of you know Jesus probably isn't coming back in my lifetime maybe you've been living the the lifestyle of comfortable Christianity uh, you know just let's not say anything that'll upset anybody you know let's be uh, politically correct everything whatever it is if the Lord is convicting you in your heart to get real and dig deeper right now just give that to him right now let's pray So said Jesus Lord, I believe that you're God and I believe that you love me. Thank you, Lord, that you've brought this truth to my attention, Lord. Lord, I need your instruction. I need your encouragement, Lord. (sighs) I will not fear because I know you're with me. I will not fear because I have the knowledge of the promises that you've given me, Lord. Lord, I know that you love me and I know that you would have it that none be lost, Lord. So we pray for those that don't have salvation. We pray for those uh, that have been deceived and are currently being deceived, Lord. We pray for them, Lord, and we pray for everybody that they would come to a saving knowledge of who you are. Your goodness and and, and the power that was in the cross. Come to a saving faith, Lord Jesus. Lord, give us opportunity, Lord to speak this truth boldly. Let us speak without fear of being canceled, Lord Jesus, by our friends and our co-workers and, and our bosses and Facebook and YouTube and everything else, Lord Jesus. Give us a bold spirit to speak truth in love, Give that to me, Lord Jesus, and give me the knowledge to understand this so I can explain this with the the urgency that is required for this hour of history in which I've been born and born into for a purpose and a reason. Lord Jesus, let me walk out my purpose and calling, Lord. I thank you that you've trusted me to be born into this hour of history. Lord, I want to step up and live up to the challenge. I want to engage with my brothers and sisters. I want to bring the talents and the spiritual gifts that you've given me to the table, to my church body, to effect change in our community, to be the restrainer, the true restrainer of wickedness and evil until you return and rapture your church, Lord. Let you find me in the field, Lord Jesus, with my brothers and sisters restraining wickedness of the day. Oh, Lord give your people peace and rest tonight lord jesus and give them uh, inspiration and passion to be about your kingdom business until you come lord hear our hearts tonight in jesus name and all god's people said amen amen guys we'll see you sunday at ten thirty at the retreat if it doesn't rain we're looking forward to another powerful study as we continue the sermon series, Our Blessed Hope, and tune in next Wednesday night for part three of this same series, Letters to the Churches. We love you guys. Good night.